Hi there. Welcome to another episode of the Context Podcast. We talk about everything related to the Claris platform. This week, your regular host, Martha Zink, is off. She's um, at the beach or, I don't know, riding a roller coaster, seeing a concert, something. Don't worry, she'll be back next week or with the next episode. But this week, you got me. My name is Todd Geist, and I am the CTO of Proofgeist. And what we decided to do this week was have one of our favorite guests back on, and that's Chris Hippolyte, the founder of iSolutions. We've had Chris on a couple times in the past to talk about machine learning and AI and how it relates to FileMaker and, and the Claris platform. And given all the recent events with ChatGPT and other large language models, and Stable Diffusion and Dolly and all that stuff, we thought it would be a good time to get Chris back on the show and talk a little bit more about what's been happening lately and where we think uh, things are headed. So Chris and I go way back, so we've been having these kinds of conversations for, well, a long time. Let's just say that. And this was another good one. So I invite you to sit back and enjoy the show. And as always, please let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your feedback and have any, if you have any ideas for uh, new shows in the future. Okay, let's get started. All right. Well, here we are. I'm Todd Geist, and I'm here with Chris Ippolite. Chris, say hi. Hey, Todd. Great to be here with you, man. I'm excited about this conversation. Been looking forward to it. Yeah. So um, September of 2021... We had you on to talk about AI and some of the stuff you had done in general, but also with FileMaker. Yep. And that was uh, before ChatGPT was out. That was like three, a whole year, I guess, right? Yeah. So November, kind of December uh, 2022 is when ChatGPT got released. Right. And so That's kind right. of to frame it up around that time frame, we're talking about uh, limited access, not general availability yet to the GPT-3 API. No ChatGPT. It was just sort of a thing people were kind of, I think, thinking about in AI circles, but not like with the adoption that that right. we've seen since then because right. of ChatGPT. And so back then, you you were messing around with 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 uh, with APIs that let you call yeah. this model, but there was no like publicly available stuff, and certainly there wasn't the buzz that there is today yep. in place. But we had you on back then, and and since since you know in the last six months. This stuff has just blown up, and you know I'm using I'm using AI-powered coding tools every day, uh, and it's becoming very obvious that this is not a fad. Yeah, <laughs> and I, it's it's uh, it's it's going to change the way we do things. Um, I don't think I thought at first maybe overnight, but I think it's going to take a little time to roll through various industries and 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 different businesses, and maybe yeah. but uh, definitely going to change. So we thought. We should get you back on and 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 talk about what you've been noticing and what you've been working with. Yeah, I uh, can't wait. In regards to all this new stuff, I uh, I will warn you and tell you that the last vacation I went on, uh, my wife told me she pulled me aside and said, "I need you to stop talking about AI to people, like, <laughs> like you're freaking people out." So the fact that you're inviting me here, Todd. First of all, <laughs> my good friend Todd. Uh, I don't know if people know how far back you and I go, but I was thinking about Whatever. it this morning. I don't think I have another person in this uh, universe that I've known longer and have and, and worked with. Like you and I were yeah. in the trenches together back in the late nineties, yeah, mid to late nineties. At least twenty five years, maybe a few years longer. So yeah. Quite, oh boy! Now I just felt super old. <laughs> I was just trying to reminisce. I wasn't trying to feel like an old man. Sorry. But okay. Oh, I, I meant five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> For the kids. Yeah. For the kids um, out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, yeah, so we've been we've been chatting and hanging out and doing work together for well, and, a couple and of decades. One of the things we've always had in common was, um, you know, 
you, you, you and I both, we've had conversations over the years of like things that people would probably laugh at us now, but like, you know, before talking about JavaScript and emerging technologies there, I mean, you and I collaborate, like we were talking in the old flash days, actually. Like we we were stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We were in at the Oscars together. Remember all that stuff. And then, and then that turned to JavaScript and then, then it became, you know, we were like-minded when it came to API integrations and now we're the same when it comes to AI. And I think the, the what the pattern there is is that these were emerging technologies that were presented to us within the filemaker space and you kind of have a choice you could either adopt or just ignore it you know and be like ah eh, it'll be fine but i think and this is something that was in the last podcast but i feel even stronger about it now this isn't one of those things yeah. I, I i really don't think that we're talking about a take it or leave it yeah type technology this is disruptive it can be it it absolutely can be positive both from a production and a coding standpoint all the way down to a service offering standpoint so that that's kind of what i'm looking forward to talking yeah. you know and amongst many yeah. other things as well too yeah i mean i think it's interesting just to, you know all these emerging technologies that that we've covered over the years and and we've we've always found a way to make filemaker work within that you know with those tools to expand what filemaker is capable of and it is fairly amazing that the other constant between us all this time has been FileMaker, Claris now, <laughs> for over 25 years. That's yeah. pretty impressive in itself, quite frankly. It is. And, and you know, tip of the hat to Claris yeah. and, you know, the platform's still going strong. We know we just had a recent release of yeah. uh, FileMaker, which, is, which I think is a big deal, both in just like, hey, check it out. We're talking about FileMaker. And also in some of the stuff we're able to do, but yeah, that is the through line, and I think that persists here with with AI opportunities. Yeah, I, I think I think we're probably going to talk a lot about disruption and say a lot of things that might be scary, um, that might sound like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, what I do every day is going to be so different. Maybe I won't be able to do it, and it, it may sound a little scary, but I, you know, I know for myself, and I, I think you feel the same that that um, we. We see this as a as a positive, but something that you you're going to have to pay attention to. Like you, you don't you can't just ignore it. But um, you know, Agreed. again, 25 years, this thing's been going strong. Uh, it, you know, you can we can bet it's going to be around for a little bit longer at least. And so we're not yeah. we're not like saying you know throw out FileMaker, throw out Claris or whatever. We're, but we do think you should be paying uh, attention to AI, what it can do um, with FileMaker, but also just in the wider sort of sort of ecosystem that we live in which is tech broadly and you know business systems information systems in general yeah absolutely yep oh no no doubt i mean you know in a private conversation you and i had earlier this week we both said you know publicly we can say we believe filemakers you know got a long tail and there's you know this important role that it's going to play it with its constituents now and then other opportunities moving forward and AI also, we both agree, is here to stay. You know, it's like it's a thing and it's not going anywhere. And and maybe we touch on regulations and maybe reasons people are anchoring to headlines yeah. and thinking, oh, that might be the reason I should ignore this. Don't yeah. do that. That is a fool's errand. It is not going away. It is not going to be banned. As a matter of fact, those aren't even the conversations that are truly happening anyways. But the point is, it's just like if we bring it down. We're just talking about API integrations and extremely powerful capabilities we can bring into our platform and our applications through these API integrations. And that's even in the coding tools yeah. too, because technically that's really yeah. you know, API calls yeah. in the environment. I think I think you you raise a good point that maybe we should just touch on briefly, which is 
there, it's not that there aren't a lot of issues around AI and, and the disruption that it's going to have. There are, and these will have to get worked out. Who knows? Maybe there will be some, there will, there will be some kind of regulation. There will be something to do with, um, with copyright laws may get tweaked. All of these things may happen, and it still will not stop the, right. the, this, this AI yeah. train from, from going on. Because no it question. is, it is one of these. You know, I've called it a John Henry moment. You know, like the old uh, John Henry could, he he was the last man who could outdig a steam shovel, but it's he great. died doing it. You know, so I hope there's a, a model called John Henry that pops yeah. up. Actually, that, that's too good. That's a perfect metaphor. I love that. There, there is one, and you know, um, I'm not sure if that's a perfect metaphor, but but it's clear, and I think you know, I can say for my own use of these tools both as a coding tool, but also as a thinking tool, which we probably talk about a little bit, that there's just no question that I am more productive and the stuff that I output is better than, than before. And you can't put that genie back in the bottle. You just can't. No doubt. I, I, I firmly agree with that. And, and, I'm, and I'm talking about, you know, like I'm an old man file maker guy and I just taught myself Python, Todd, like what in the heck is going on? Like, and, and I won't, I'll admit, you know, the edges were all sanded down for me and I just sort of, I would just talk about outcomes I was looking for and then I would get the information I need back. And now like the training wheels are off and I'm, I'm having conversations with subject matter experts that know the code and understand the tech and I'm holding my own. And, and honestly, you know, I just did that in like a couple of months. Like, I don't think I don't think I would have had the capacity to do that even in, you know, two, three times the time without this assistance. Yeah. So, like, just from a first person standpoint, it's real and it, it made a huge difference for me um, and allows me to take advantage of all the opportunities that AI is presenting yeah. as a result. So I think that's the bigger picture is well, the faster you learn or the faster you can output, I mean, forget learn. How about just the production aspect of it? You know, um, the the challenge that that I say to people who are worried about like their job going away, like I think it makes more sense with JavaScript and you're, you're a perfect person to throw this thought experiment at. What percentage of the JavaScript code that you were generating pre-copilot, Todd, just to frame it up, was repetitive code? Yeah, a lot. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... If if the answer is over fifty percent, then you should be using a tool that helps you just get to the good stuff. That gets gets to the heavy lift, gets to the creative thinking and the the use case specific coding that you're doing. So I don't know if it's like taking all the you're you're a needle mover because you know this tech and you're trying to solve a problem. I don't think it takes any of that out of it at all. No. It just takes all the the grunt you know stuff out of it and gets you to the outcomes faster. I'm trying to find this quote that GitHub Copilot. Copilot just came out with um, with their yeah. So people who use GitHub Copilot, um, Copilot writes according to their stats forty six percent of the code. Right. Uh, oh, are you looking at that survey yeah, yeah, they yeah. did a couple months yeah, ago? Yeah. The best one on that survey, Todd. Are you looking at it right now? Because they said it was like seventy eight percent feel more fulfilled. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting yeah. thing to say because that's kind of what we're talking about. Like those respondents absolutely were saying, yeah, it gets me there faster. I'm spending less time doing it. Cool. But you know what? I'm more satisfied yeah. in this experience. No like I'm getting, no and, and I think the way I would say that is, and I don't know if this is a th thing we run into with FileMaker, but like I've always said, 
just feel like how we can shepherd our customers to the, the end product is the closer we can get to that inception of, oh, you know what we should do is to then having the thing, like the closer you can get that window, the better, the, better, you know, the more satisfying the experience is. But unfortunately, we live in a world where and it's okay, maybe it's okay for now, where our customers go, oh, it would be great if... And then they go through the process of finding a partner and then they find a partner and then we build out spec and then we get into, even if it's an MVP, you know, we're talking about a couple months later and then they're like, oh yeah, cool. But like, they don't have that emotional relationship with the problem and the That's thought right. bubble in the first place. And I think these, this tech is all it's doing is just constraining that and being more satisfying for everybody. I, I, so I think that's an issue. Yeah, I think it's it. true. Like I, I, um, um, when I really started getting, uh, you know, it took a while for me to like, really begin to rely on on the coding. So inside of GitHub Copilot, I, I write a lot of JavaScript code. Um, still write a lot of FileMaker, but probably more JavaScript code these days. Uh, and so there's some muscle memory involved and just like, I've been doing it a long time. So it took a while for me to figure out how to how to use the AI properly. And we should talk more about that in a bit. But but once I did, once I got, once I got where I, I felt like I could use it like a thinking tool, and I think this is the key thing, is I could code for way longer without a break because what's really tiring Ooh. about code is not code that works. It's code that Bugs. doesn't work. <laughs> errors. And, yeah, and, errors. And so exactly. errors come from? Errors come from, you know, sometimes it's because you don't know what you're doing and you're writing something wrong. But a lot of times errors come from just like typos, Syntax. mistakes. You, yeah. you, you know, like, so simple examples that I can, that might make sense uh, over audio would be like, if you wanted to, if you wanted to process a list of items, and uh, and do you know run some code over it, and loop that and loop that same piece of code um, over and over again, the minute you you get into inside of that loop, it figures out that that's what you're doing, and it's just suggesting the lines, you know, based yep. on the first one, like the first template you wrote, it'll just suggest it after that, and so you don't have and, to, like, and that's the premise the of Copilot. You may, it may even help to sketch that idea out briefly in a comment. And then you just start typing the functions or the, the lines of code and it goes, oh, I know what you're doing. And it just starts to fill in the line. So you just end up going tab, enter, tab, you know, tab to accept the prompt that this is what you want this. Yeah, enter, new line, do you want this? Yeah, enter. And it just does it. And so you don't spend time writing that repetitive stuff. You're on to the thing that actually takes some thought, which is now the architecture of the program itself. How many Saturdays, Todd? And I, and I know you're a Saturday guy. How many Saturdays have you sat down? You, you walk the dogs, you come back, and you're like, "Ooh, you know what would be amazing? Yeah. I got to try this idea. Like, this is the next big thing." And you sit down at your desk, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, 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 yeah." And then all of a sudden, error, boom, error, error, error. And then finally, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. And you're like, "Forget, Forget this. it." Go <laughs> I, I, then all of a sudden, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Like the moment is yeah. gone. And those are the kind of things yeah. that I think you can capture. Um, and it's interesting. Now, in fairness, we're talking about JavaScript and Python and stuff that you can actually manage inside like, you know, you know, VS code or something like that. But, you know, people that are that are listening are have the same thing in common with us. We're, you know, we're FileMaker yeah. developers as well, too. And um and it's not the same thing. Okay. Like and, and I mean this in a in a positive way. I I think I want to reveal something very unique about FileMaker and why these uh, foundation models are really good examples are really good ways for people to leverage. I'll get to it because I know it's a controversial statement, but it's not code. I hope that's not controversial. We are not coding in FileMaker. We are clicking and, you know, doing stuff and typing. But 
the interesting thing about FileMaker is that no other low-code platform has 30 years worth of discussion about mm -hmm. it yeah. on the internet. So really, um, when you go, when people are using ChatGPT, for example, which if you're not using anything, you should be using ChatGPT. But if you're a business and you want to integrate foundation models, don't use ChatGPT. First of all, it's not secure. Secondly, it's not the right paradigm. You should be using APIs and integrating it. We can talk about that later. But for us FileMaker folks, if I want to figure out how to write a calculation or a custom function, I will. I can easily use ChatGPT, right? So first thing is, why should that actually work? Well, it, it actually went through all the forums and all the, you know, F, the, the, Claris forums and all the other third-party forums, and, and maybe somebody has questions on Stack Overflow or something like that, and it grabbed all that information. It didn't memorize it. I think this is important because I, I think there's a floating misconception out there about what's actually happening. It's not like an index retrieval at all. It's not saying, I need to figure out this custom function, go find a repository that was consumed on the web and find where somebody wrote that. It's actually taking everything that's out there and teaching itself how to do this. I, I think I think people really need to understand the gravity of what's happening. Like it taught itself how to do it. Now, did it teach it how to do it perfectly? Not all the time. And and in the case of FileMaker, we only have ourselves to blame because unfortunately it looked at the, like if you look at just the forum, for example, it's mostly people putting a script on there going, here's my script that doesn't work. Can somebody tell me what's wrong with it? And then if it's followed by a script that does work, well, it it consumed both of those. Right. So the point is, it doesn't necessarily know because FileMaker is not coding based and it, you can't process it and run it to see if you actually got it correctly. The language model is basically just saying, well, I think this is how a FileMaker script works. You know, give give this a shot. But it doesn't have any way to to actually like publish it or run it like it could like in a Python like execution environment or in a JavaScript environment or something like that. So what that means is. And I think the overall discussion, you know, has been I've tried uh, ChatGPT and it, it's it's terrible. It's not as good at FileMakers I am. But I I would say I spent like a year looking at GPT from a learning tools perspective, and I don't disagree that it's not perfect. It's not. But boy, if you put in, if you've ever done like take a really complex like huge massive let function like the kind that you write <laughs> and put and literally copy and paste it and put it in there and just go, what is going on with this? Oh my God. Like the, the, the refactoring of code, what's a, a more efficient way to do this script? The, what is this function? What is this uh, calculation that some other developer on my team wrote or whatever, creating comments for your, like that stuff is pure, pretty darn close to flawless. Right. But the, the zero shot, Todd, the big BA code that, that does this, that's not how you use the tool, right? It's supposed to be like an iterative process where you push and pull and, and then if eventually you move it in the right direction and tell you what you want. And then it gives you this chef's kiss perfect output. But the, the zero shot where you're just like, give me the thing and you expect it to be perfect, that's not how you use the tool. But you can turn it around and go, "Is what is this? And do that in a zero shot fashion. And it's actually really great. So I hope somewhere in there that, I don't know. I don't know yeah, if no, I, I think that that's properly, what, I think that's a, a common misconception people have right away is that they're, it's just going, you're going to say to it, hey, write me a script that goes through all the data in my invoices table and, and, um, and makes a PDF with a summary report on it. It's not going to do that. Like that's not, no. that's not where we're at. But it, it can help you um, deal with some of the more complex issues 
with that, especially like, especially functions. Functions are, are great because they're pure text. Again, it's, you know, the model yep. for these tools is text and it's, yep. uh, it's just text and it understands the, it under, it understands in the way that these language models do, it understands FileMaker's calculation engine pretty good. Pretty and, well. and, and I think the other reason to your point, why the calculation functions are better and why it can look at a calculation function you give it and explain what's happening or tell you what's wrong with it is because there's logic in those functions. Yeah. Like they're not super, I mean, the function names, it can go figure out what, there's only so many functions yeah. and it has all that access. Yeah. It literally has like the Claris help system yeah. built into it, right? So it knows, <laughs> but it knows the logic of the text of a function. Yeah. Like we have more logic, so to speak, in a calculation function or a custom function than we do in a script. A script is just a series of routines. It's not a real script, like a JavaScript script. You know, it's like, it's just a, 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 it might a be series doing of routines. Like navigation and, you know, other. Well, that, right. right. You know, so how's it going to know? Like, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, um, you know, the, uh, you definitely get, in terms of using these AI tools to write code, you get a, a bigger bounce if you're writing Python or JavaScript or, or one of those, but, but you can still use it. You can still use it to do FileMaker stuff. And I, and I think, you know, the interesting thing you want to, you want, I, I want to go back a little bit to what you talked about in terms of teaching model. Cause I know you, you spent a large part of your career teaching people FileMaker. And I think it's, it's interesting. Like my take on the, on teaching is it, or at least in my experiments, like I've had to write code, like I don't write a lot of bash, but I needed to write a bash script. So I was able to, to give ChatGPT enough prompting that it gave me that it gave me a bash script. But I also knew how to run a bash script and I could test a bash script and I can kind of read code a little bit. So I'm good enough at that stuff that that I just but I'm not familiar. It's like it's like I can read, you know, Latin, but I can't really write it. You know, it's kind of thing. It's sort of that same yeah, thing. If, if you can like read a language, you can actually you got you actually have enough skills to to probably get get these models to spit out functioning code for you. But, um, but, uh, you know, when you're learning from scratch, what's your yeah. take on learning from scratch? Cause I think it's be, because it's wrong enough of the time that if mm -hmm. you don't know anything, it's, I think you might have be a little bit of a disadvantage. Yeah. You said something interesting to me the other day about, you know, the eating from the bottom yeah. up, remember that comment? And I, and I think this is what you were sort of triangulating on. You were referring to the fact that like, um, who's most likely to be affected by automated coding like in the in a filemaker context and that would definitely be the i don't know whether the thing it gave me back is right yeah. or not you know the it brand new to the to the um to the to the uh, platform now um and i think what that does is it tells you how you make the best use of it so i so to your point and i agree and i'll layer on top of it those at the top of the pyramid know what questions to ask and know how to have a conversation with it. So I think to really simplify it, the way to really use the tool is to see it as somebody sitting next to you who you're having a conversation with, not a tool that is answering, you know, like the magic eight ball Oracle that you shake and go, you know, whatever. And then the answer pops out. Like literally yeah. if you were just like, you had a, a that's why they call it co-pilot. Yeah. Hey, what do I do with this? And then they give you an answer and you go, well, yeah, but what about blah, blah, blah. Like if like, like one of the, like if I look at my, Chad GPT and the like the hundreds of conversations, not a single one of them was one prompt and then I got a response back. Yeah. These are conversations, right? And and if you and so that way I think that the people who are more advanced can get unstuck. 
They can figure out what somebody else was doing. They can write custom functions very easily yeah. um, and have a really positive and efficient experience that way. But the new learners, so Todd, yeah, the new learners for me, it was like, it was mostly where they were looking at something and they were trying to figure out what it was. Oh, I see. The, it, the explain kind. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. So I created this thing called the uh, Claire's Learning Companion. Like, I don't know. I actually was working on it when I did the pod with, with you guys last time. But I was just doing it internally because it started off as a zero shot, like, build me a FileMaker script. And then it would give me a FileMaker script. And I was like, oh, my God. Like it knows FileMaker, but then I started looking at it. I was like, oh yeah, that's not very good. Or this isn't very good or whatever. And then I started, then I tweaked it a little bit. And then I started doing, give me three FileMaker calculation functions that or formulas that will, that will give me the same outcome. And then I, you know, using expertise in the smell test, I could, oh yeah, that actually is pretty good over here. And then I went into the explain or refactor. Yeah. And so when I'm doing like, you know, new learner training, not the recorded stuff, but actually like classroom or, you know, mentoring stuff, that stuff is perfect because like the whole point is at some point you got to be able to look at something and know what's going on and be able to like read FileMaker. Yeah. And that is a, a, a excellent tool, yeah. you know, when, when it comes to I, that. I mean, I use it all the time. That's funny. I hadn't thought about it as a... Um... As something to help you my, learn, but I use it. <laughs> my tip is try three, do that. Yeah. That's for everybody listening who who still believes who believes that it's useful. Do the give me three of anything, and I think that's a really cool eye opener because essentially you're just telling it, give me your three, like your highest confidence uh, completion, yeah. your second highest, your third highest, and it could be that the third highest one is actually the correct one, and the second one is refactor script. Copy, paste a, a script into it and have it refactor it and make it more condensed. I think you'll be pretty blown away by that. And then finally, explain what this is. Yeah. Like, like you could use an eight. Like, if someone super smart like you who knows how to build tools and stuff, you could easily leverage a language model to go automatically comment a script in a FileMaker file like in an instant and do comments for calculations because it knows with enough level to be able to do comments, how to actually write those things. So if you could actually insert that into the FX, FMXML, that'd be actually yeah. pretty cool. We're actually looking at that. Um, I think, Please I think do. some others are, uh, I think the, the challenge is just the XML clipboard. It's, uh, you know, getting in yeah. and out of the clipboard well, is the a context. challenge. And we, we've actually got some experiments that, that are, that will work, but how do you deploy that to people is the issue. I mean, we'll probably end up having right. to do something with like a base elements plug in in a FileMaker file to actually do that. That's probably the oh. easiest way to get it for everybody who's using FileMaker to get it. But we've done some experiments with that and it seems it seems like there's there's a there there. Um, well, the, the other part though is, and this probably gets into other ways that you can leverage language models is how, how you can insert truth into the language model, okay? So first of all, I think there's a misconception that if you're having these conversations and you like correct it in one of your conversations in ChatGPT, that now you've somehow changed the overall corpus of data. That is not true. All you've done is changed it in that context. Right. Here we are in the context right. podcast. Yeah. We're going to really yeah. talk about context. Every chat has a context, in that, short-term memory. Every chat, right. it's a new session and it has its own memory. The memory is 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 finite though. And this is one of the biggest, like when we have this conversation in a year, Todd, we won't talk about context window at all. But right now, context window is a big deal because the way the transformer technology works and the training actually works 
it essentially says it only has a memory of this many. It's not words. They call them tokens. But for today's conversation, let's just use words. So like uh, ChatGPT, the basis, non-ChatGPT plus, not the GPT-4 model, has like a 4,000 token window. Yeah, like 3,000 words, 2,500 words or something like that. So that means you could could still have a conversation that's like 5,000 words. But the window of memory yeah. is sliding, like almost like a parallax yeah, effect, yeah. if you can visualize that, if you're listening. And all the stuff that was before, it doesn't know. It's like, what are you talking about? I've never heard that. And you're like, what do you mean? It's right here. Well, so that's why when GPT-4 comes out and it's got an 8K context window, oh, you you got you can have a much more meaningful uh, outcome with it. And then they have a 32K, which is not generally available, but that's only through API. When that comes out, oh, my God. And then... You know, um, Anthropic, as of the recording of this, it was just last week, which is like, you know, a year in AI development, but they just announced a 100K context window. And now there's all these like, you know, like Mosaic has a 86K or whatever. Like, so that's what people are talking about when they say the big window. And that is a big deal because if you want to have it, like, if you just want to give it like FMXML, that's too much for the... 8k window right there you can't even process that right so that's why this is a really important thing to consider when you're trying to get the language model to do yeah and we should point out because you just brought it up that that open ai and the and the chat gp or the the open open ai uh, apis are only one model there's lots available um some that are some that are uh that are open source and actually the open source models are are getting quite good I, i would say responsibly um well, like, so two years ago, all I was talking about was OpenAI. And honestly, because that's really all anybody had public access yeah. to through an API was the OpenAI GPT-3 model, which was followed by another 3.5. But then after that, you know, people hear more in like the, the search models, like they hear about BARD and, um, you know, like the, the actual uh, consumer interface, the ChatGPT versus BARD and all that kind of stuff. But the models that are behind it are exactly to your point. And I think that's a, an excellent point you just brought up. So Google has its own models. Meta has its own models. Meta then released one to the wild, yeah. <laughs> right? Which was a huge, I think that's probably the biggest news in 2023 was when Meta released Llama. It sounds like like a zoo, like something escaped from a zoo, but they released a model and they were just saying, here's the model because we think open source is a thing. And that blew people away because the expectation of, because why is that a big deal? Well, the compute power that's necessary for OpenAI to go from three point, uh, GPT 3.5 to GPT-4, it was like $40 million <laughs> in compute, right? So it's like, okay, we're not going to just roll out a version in an agile, like in a sprint, yeah. like this actually costs real money. So the fact that you could then, they were training models. Yeah. So there's an interesting conversation about the open source where they can train, like Mosaic ML, just, um, they, they trained for less than $200,000, all right? And they came up with a context window of 84K, for 200 grand and then you like then the 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 llama everyone the big news with llama was like people were taking the train model they don't have to train it and now they're running it on like a100s yeah. and raspberry pi yeah. are you kidding me yeah. like so that's what so then what people were saying was like whoa we thought that was going to take like 2 years to get from 40 million like literally there was like a graph that was going around you know uh, twitter like the expectation from all the experts was 2025, we can actually get down under a hundred bucks, right. For running these things. And then they just did it like in March. And so everyone was freaking out. And 
there was a little bit of a safety zone there because um, Meta released Llama on purpose without commercial license. I think that's important to note. And then somebody leaked the weights and balances, yeah. which is essentially like the cipher right. to make sense of it. And then all of a sudden it went crazy. So literally everything you're seeing, the mosaic I just mentioned, all those, they're all like rooted in these these open source models. So the, the other reason that's super important is because anyone who's a business decision maker who's finding comfort in the fact that they think that language models are going to get banned or something or they're going to like stop, you're not going to let you use them for like the summer or whatever, that's craziness because first of all, no one is suggesting any of that. But more importantly, those regulations are going to start at the open AIs and the Microsoft partnership and the Azure's yeah. and the Google and whatever. The enforcing those down inside your local stack behind your firewall is to, is an open source product to me. I don't even Todd. How would that even happen? I don't even understand how that would happen. So the industry is moving towards language models. We every project, every AI project we did last year was on OpenAI, and this year, one OpenAI and the rest are all open source. And one of the ones from last year we have to now redo locally because, and I think this is important. The customer is saying, "Well, isn't some of my data going out? You know, during the API call, it's going out. Like in ChatGPT, by the way, your data not only goes out but it gets stored." Yeah in ChatGPT. So don't use ChatGPT for business. And by the way, that's why when you hear like last week, Apple said- Apple banned it. They're banned. They banned yeah. it, but but just to be to be clear, they banned using ChatGPT, yeah. which means don't put our product, you know, all the stuff that we're going <laughs> to yeah. drop in two weeks because they're storing it. And you sh no one should be surprised because those conversations on the left-hand side, those are actually stored yeah. on their server somewhere. So, however, if you're doing API calls and Sam Altman, just said this in front of Congress. He's like, when you use the API, we don't store your information. We do not use it to train. Yeah. So those are two really important comments when it comes to business decision makers deciding whether or not they should be worried about data privacy or whatever. But the next level of it, if you're still worried about data privacy is go grab an open source model, put it in your stack behind your firewall and then do all your communications locally like you're doing with everything else. And you know, you got everything you need. And most of what people are doing with language models, you don't need GPT-4 for anyways. So it's worth at least trying some of these open source models. I think that I think that's I hope that's the biggest takeaway of the day for people that are really considering doing this. in a business Yeah, I mean, I think platform. I think it's it's we should know that this the like the the concept of what the models can do and what kind of impact impacts they can have. I mean, it's just clear that it's true. The specific forms that those models are, whether it's OpenAI or Llama or Mosaic ML or whatever, are pretty fluid right now in terms of what is like the latest, greatest thing that 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 that's coming out. Now, there's a there's an event next week which we hope will have this podcast oh, yeah. out either just before or right after this event at, at our favorite company. Mm -hmm. Apple's got their WWDC, and oh, yeah. there's been a lot of speculation and rumor around what Apple may do in this in this AI space because they can't just leave it like it's pretty clear no. and they've and they've built a whole brand around privacy so yes. it's going to be pretty interesting to see what they do in the future and there's you know some of us are hoping we're going to see some of that next week although we know they're going to drop something about their their VR headset. Yeah, we'll just headset. put the VR AR stuff on the on yeah. the shelf. That's outside the scope of the that's outside the context that's right. of this that's context right. podcast. That's right. But but we think that they may be <laughs> but, up to something. Do you have any thoughts yeah. on what that might be? 
Yeah, so let, let's let's spell it out as to why Claire's people should care about this for starters, right? So, um, first of all, Claire's is an Apple subsidiary. Okay, we know that. Everybody knows that. Well, what does that mean for potentially integrating AI into a Claire's platform, for example, right? Well, that means that and, uh, until Apple says it's okay, they, Claire's can't go do that, right? So legally, they're saying, you know, and it has to do with a lot of the fact that there's like yet to be settled... Um, um, uh, attribution uh, law, you know, like, like uh, copyright stuff is huge. And so Apple essentially says, look, until this is settled, none of our code that we use to, we can't use Copilot. We can't use any of these tools to generate Apple products. Okay. Imagine the lawsuit target that would be. Oh, because they're the biggest target in the world. world. They can't do it. So they basically said, and they can't do it. So then you go, well, Good luck with that. I mean, because like it almost would be like saying you're the biggest like manufacturer of goods in the world and you, you're you not going to China or something, yeah. right? Like you're just, oh, we're going to keep it here and pay eight times the cost to do it. Like how long is that going to work, right? right? So so obviously they're way smarter people than you and I. So they know they would need to leverage this and so they would need to create their own model. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, if we dissect that, the problem is these corpus of data, corpi? Of data, corpuses. Todd? Corpuses. <laughs> okay, know. cool. I, I like that. I don't know what it is. It's one of those. <laughs> so the big things of data, those have, uh, well, first of all, before people get too freaked out, if if you're worried, hey, UK and the EU, I'm talking to you. If you're worried that your PII is in these language models, go Google yourself once. <laughs> By the way, like, do you really, like, all it did is get the stuff from the internet. Yeah. It did not expose any additional information. Yeah. It's not like taking credit card databases or whatever. It's literally whatever's on the internet as of 2021 is available in these language models. So settle down. <laughs> like, Google yourself. You're going to see the creepiest thing you've ever seen. You don't even have to pay $5 for a background check. So that's the first thing. But still, Apple can't do that because of the risk that you just outlined. So then the question is, as I'm thinking about this, is what data do they have? And you just said something super interesting. They are the world leader in data privacy at the same time. So basically what they've said is, I mean, remember, like, I think we were both at the Macworld where they did the billboards all over San Francisco about, like, Google, like, yeah, if you don't care about your personal data, go with Google or like whatever. It was like a really hard line that they they played on data privacy, and they've kept that ever since. And they've really built a, a product and a trust with their customers around it. So how do they then pivot and go? Oh yeah, forget forget that. <laughs> we we need we need to use your data. So so the way I think about this is is the following. And then I'm gonna throw something out there that blows up my whole theory. But but. I was talking about something on the last pod. What I was I was calling a self model, Todd. Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it, but it means like right now, Wells Fargo has a model of you. Netflix has a model. Google has like fifty. Like there's a million yeah. models of Todd Geist yeah. out there, and you don't have any control over any of them. So by the way, if you're worried about Googling and you're seeing your private information, wait till you see what is in everybody's <laughs> models. Like uh, to the t- tune of tens of thousands of these. I think a perfectly positioned player in the market could turn that whole thing around and go, how about this? Well, so look what they did with Safari when they when they said they're going to manage cookies. I mean, they 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 hit uh, Facebook in the knees, yeah. right? Because the, you can do all this ad tracking. So they made a big impact there. They someone like Apple could technically put the walls up around PII completely and go, "Hey Todd, 
here's your model. And instead of everybody just grabbing your stuff and you having to opt out like we do with websites and like, you know, the California one and the uh, GDPR or whatever, how about we give you all your data, Todd, and then you get, you can allow people to opt in. You can go, hey, Netflix wants your data because they want to see what kind of stuff you're interested in. Okay, cool. Yeah, Netflix, you're cool to have it. Uh, Amazon wants to know, you know, your your likes and dislikes. Like, then we turn it around and you start opting in. Well, a perfectly positioned player in the market to do that would be somebody who already operates in a wall garden, who has an unbelievable amount of personal information about us, like our messages, our emails, our our Siri transcripts. Um, where we go, how we're walking around, our health information. Like, think of the data that Apple has on each one of us and how that could play an interesting role. Forget out into the language model world. Imagine if, like, Siri was actually good. <laughs> by the way, I've never been more frustrated with Siri than when ChatGPT became part of my life. Now, I literally, uh, I yell at Siri all the time and my Roomba. I'm like... I have such high expectations for <laughs> AI. How dare you let me down, Siri and Roomba? But the Siri thing is really interesting because it could be the, you know what I want. Just Siri, come on, man. You know everything about me. And you know what I'm doing this weekend. And you know who I'm doing it with. And you know who I was just talking to about this. Can you just put make all that work together and just like go figure out where we're going for dinner. Let the, the Joneses know down the street tell my babysitter what's up. And then by the way, go make reservations over there. And Oh, if we can't get into that place, maybe we cook at home, go find our favorite dish over there and go fill an Instacart thing for us or whatever. Like, like, like that is totally possible from a personal assistant standpoint. And that's what Siri set out to do. And they never, they weren't able honestly. to because they missed, they missed the large language or they didn't have the large language models that can do the, the conversational piece very well. But I think, I think it's, you may, you may have jumped over one part, which I think is really key here that, um, people should get is that when you say Apple has your data, they have it, but they have it on your device. Right? Yeah. So like, you remember like that famous terrorist case from a number of years back when that shooting happened out here in, in the yeah, out here in California, they, yep. they literally, they literally couldn't get the data off the iPhone. They defied the, yeah. they defied the federal yeah, government because they don't, and have that was it. a great play on the phone. Well, so then one would think, okay, um, there was a company, I don't know how to pronounce this, Todd. I'm looking it up. People on YouTube can see my eyes moving off screen, but it's called XNOR.AI, Zoner, whatever. It's a process for making machine learning algorithms highly efficient, so efficient they could even run on lowest tier hardware like a mobile device yeah. or on the edge, yeah. right? So why am I bringing that up? And why am I bringing up another company that is called Vilnix, who developed a self-learning AI platform to understand co personal content on device personal content? Yeah. Why am I bringing those two up? Those companies were both acquired by yeah. Apple in 2020, Todd. <laughs> so, so there's two ways to figure out what Apple's doing. Look, look at the patent for hardware because they have to file this patent and then go look at their acquisitions for software. So how do we piece all that together? You got to also throw in the fact that if you go download one of these AI models, at least it was when I initially started doing this, I assume it's pretty much the same, but, but like, uh, they require an M1, like you need an M1 to run a lot of these things. Uh, some yeah, of the bigger the, ones like, like stable diffusion and stuff like that. Yeah. And to validate that, even on the open source thing, you, you hear two things when a, a new open source model comes out, it goes, what's its capabilities. And then what compute is required yeah. to actually run it. Locally. And, and a lot so, of them are, are M1s because the M1s are particularly good at this kind of, at, 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 at this kind of computation. 
So Apple's got the and hardware. So would, they have the yeah, they've it, got everything they need to build it on the edge. They have their own silicon, yep. which has been by the way been driving very advanced machine learning in non-language model uh implementations for a long camera, time. For example, the camera's incredible. Yeah. I mean, the, the all the, like like just go open the measure app on your phone or something like that. Like that's pretty crazy what's happening there, right? From just an ML standpoint. So they've got that. And then they've got these other technologies. They've got this data that lives on the device. And they could possibly model it. They have a broken, like they've literally not done anything to Siri in so long that you have to be like, they know Siri sucks. <laughs> like, why are you not doing like incremental updates of this? So I think there's something there. And then we look at these acquisitions, and I think we're cobbling together a reasonable theory. But then something completely threw me off on this. They announced the WWDC, and you know how they do their wacky little, like, teases yeah, yeah. in the name? This year it's called Swiftly Developing. Oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> so, obviously, you're going to do, like, a text-to-code to in within yeah, Swift. And, and, have and, a, and I would imagine will have, we'll have some kind of co-pilot, probably. Xcode has to have a co-pilot, yeah. and I don't know... That's going to happen. That's obviously going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because sitting in a lot of like business meetings with Apple salespeople, hearing them, I'm not saying any names, but hearing them refer to like, like when the App Store came out, every Apple salesperson who was going out into the field and talking to a school district or a, a big enterprise or something like that, the the they don't make so software. I mean, they make Claire's, but let's be honest, like. Most people at Apple don't even know that Clarist exists, but um, but they would their customers would say, "Hey, we have these problems we need to solve with your hardware. You just sold us forty thousand. You know, we're Pfizer, and you just sold us forty thousand iPads. Well, great, but we have this problem we want to solve. And so, what the Apple people were have been doing for like ten years plus is going, go build an app for it. You know, go use Xcode or Swift, you know, Swift, and and build this app out. And then what I've heard these people say over and over again is they're lamenting. They're like no one can do that. <laughs> like, it's really, really hard to do. So if they can solve for the fact that they make Xcode easier and, you know, the whole Swift environment easier to develop in, that solves a huge enterprise level problem for them. I don't know if that's great news for Claris now that I'm hearing myself say it out loud, but, but I think that just, I would be absolutely shocked if they don't have a a co-pilot, not named co-pilot, definitely not no. named co-pilot, yeah. but something that helps you swiftly develop. <laughs> but then my question would be, how'd you do that? Because where's their corpus yeah, of their data? Xcode, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, because like, they don't have like, you know, you just, I mean, I, what they're going to do is, gonna I know be, we don't know what they're going to do is going to have to be different because of the, because of the rules and the, and the branding that they've set up around privacy. It's going to have to take a different approach. Which is fascinating. Um, which is great. I can't like it's wait. gonna, it's gonna do, it's gonna. In my opinion, Apple's coming out and blocking a lot of the ad, the ad business that was around, you know, prior to 2021, was so good for the rest of the world in terms of, yeah, I mean, for and so for many them, reasons, you know, and so, so they're gonna, they're gonna bend this whole market in another direction, and it's gonna be in the privacy direction, and that's good news. I, think. I, I love it. I love it. I hope this whole idea of I control who has access to me and my model and my likes. My, I hope that becomes a reality. Yeah. I hope Apple's the one that does it. And <clears throat> just to say something kind of on the fringes of what we've been talking about here, language models are one thing. Transformer models that use all this, you know, 
the, the human language to learn about us and understand how we reason and, and, you know, our structure of communication is interesting. But if you dig even deeper dialogue, like the actual like pragmatics of like you and I talking to each other and you say something and I respond and that sort of transactional thing that's happening is a whole nother type of training, by the way. Like those are actually referred to as dialogue models. And the reason I'm mentioning that is for like two years from today when we have <laughs> the part three conversation when dialogue models are a thing. I want to sound smart, but also because then players like Apple, I have, I have enough dialogue data. I mean, especially me. I never shut up, but <clears throat> I have enough dialogue data on my device for them to create a, a, a mini dialogue model on the edge for me. Yeah. And by the way, regardless of how people feel about Elon Musk, I'm not going to take a position on it. Um, but he bought Twitter. Yeah. I mean, he, he bought Twitter, you know, whatever he's saying with, you know, uh, free speech and all that kind of stuff. But he also bought it because it is and he, at the same time. He, Right before they bought, they cut off anybody's access to use Twitter data as training data. And dialogue models are the next big thing. And so Elon is basically sitting on like the world's, the world's greatest the world's dialogue treasure data. trove of data. Yeah. And he also just developed X.AI is what he announced. That's and so I'm predicting that. Yeah, isn't it? So we should um, we should bend this thing back around to uh, we're, we're talking a lot about just sort of how to think about AI and how, or how or rather how we think about it and where we think some of the moves in the industry are coming. But let's, let's see if we can bend it back towards our, our day jobs, if you will. Um, and not so much necessarily rooting it in FileMaker, but just sort of how does a business, although I think we should, yep. um, what should businesses be thinking about in terms of, absolutely. And maybe, you know, you know, specifically, What's interesting about FileMaker and what we can do with FileMaker and these models? Yeah, I thanks. I, I I do I do a lot of like uh, one of many presentations uh, to business decision makers about just AI, and mostly I'm talking about, and the only people who even respond to anything I put on LinkedIn are you know probably outside the FileMaker space anyways, just like business people. And and mostly I'm just trying to say like, yeah, this is what it is. This is what it isn't. And this is what you should worry about. This is what you shouldn't worry about. That's kind of where I'm at with these conversations. But through all that, there's a very clear, to, it's very clear to me how you use these models and where their superpowers really are for business, right? Not for coders, not for entertainment, not for whatever. And then before we dive into that perspective, why is FileMaker a good use case for this? Well, I'm gonna let me address that because I'm kind of excited for this. <clears throat> First of all, total easy native back and forth API integrations, huge deal. That's right. Because what we're talking about integrating language model in subtly or like overwhelmingly into your FileMaker application means you're doing API integrations, right? In and out. We have native JavaScript parsing. We have I mean, how would you describe it? I know you have a position on native FileMaker. Yeah. Like it, the API is within the paradigm right. of native yeah, FileMaker, right. right? So so that's all you need yeah. from a tech yeah. standpoint. Now, let me then say something that's kind of exciting from a machine learning modeling standpoint. Like not, I'm not talking about like language models, but like real ML stuff. So um, great anecdote. I had this idea, whatever, 
blah, 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 blah. I was going to come up with this risk project risk rating for our uh, internal iTool system. And I was so excited. I was so proud of myself. Oh my God, it's a rating. And then like every project can have a risk. And then I don't need to have the project manager tell me when, you know, <laughs> stuff starting to smoke. I'll just, you know, I'll know and I'll just be able to address it that way. So I was so excited and I wrote up a whole presentation. I did a presentation to, <laughs> to all the project managers. And then I talked to this uh, colleague of mine who, um, he's a PhD data scientist who I created my fantasy, you know, my fantasy football yeah, thing yeah, where yeah. we saw each other yeah. at React. He and I created that model together and did a paper together in 2013. And so I go to him for the tech and I go, hey, man, the Dr. Shuckers, I'll give him a call out here. Hey, Dr. Shuck, great idea, man. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and it's going to spit out this rating. And then it's just going to alert me when a rating gets above a certain threshold and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, brilliant idea. Good idea. How is your data... Like, what does your data look like and what and, and what's your data capture mechanism look like? And I was like, oh, shit, shoot. I mean, I don't have any. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I don't have it. The data is not in the right format. It's 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 the my data capture mechanism is not, you know, giving me enough. Like I might have blank fields or, or redundant data or I'm not capturing this one variable to make this model actual work. So any. So who's who's in big trouble there? Well, it's the companies that are subscribing to some SaaS system that everybody, you like, you can't manipulate it. You can't do anything with it. But us FileMaker folks, we go in there and we tweak that thing within minutes. Like literally the thing can still be hosted up on the server and we go, oh, you want a field for that? Boom, here you go. You want to be able to capture this within the workflow? Boom, there you go. So API integration and the agility when it comes to the data capture and pre-processing mechanisms that are necessary to really make AI work and ML work are there. Yeah. They're native within native FileMaker. Yeah. So that's our platform. So then what's the other thing that's necessary? I'm going to make a I'm going to make a grand statement. I'm going to tell you that um <clears throat> I when we're on our on our uh business applications, I'm thinking through this to make sure I'm not lying. I think every one of them, at least every one of them in 2023, every AI in integration and implementation, whether integrated with FileMaker or not, None of them have been just directly uh, connecting to the language model where it just, you ask it and it gives you something back. So when I think about lack of truthfulness and hallucination and like harmful content, I don't even care because I'm not, that's not what I'm using the language models yeah. for. In all of those cases, we're doing some form of taking the organization's proprietary data and putting it in between the user and the language model itself, thus minimizing the role of the language model completely. It's now acting as a, a reasoning engine and a logic engine, and it's learning how to speak to humans. But the data, the truth, is coming from the organization's data. That's right. Right? So to me, that and, – and guess what? Every one of us in the FileMaker space, our customers have data. I know it sounds kind of silly, but that's a big right. deal. And they have access to their data and the agility to make something happen with it. And they have this mindset because they're in FileMaker in the first place. They have this mindset that like, yeah, I can customize things and that's important. And so all those things come together, Todd. And I think in a really exciting way that to me, the profile for who can, what businesses can benefit from language or from foundation model integrations are everyone who has FileMaker already. SMB all the way up to enterprise. I would dare say that the SMBs have a bigger advantage than enterprise because they have more agility. They do. And they may, they, it's probably easier to get these projects through because the enterprises either have bands or committees that are figuring out what to do about all this stuff. And 
and there's a lot of it's going to take a while for for some of those to catch up. I think I, I think one of the things that really shifted my thinking about this was understanding that one way to look at what the language models do, whether it's the big ones like OpenAI or the open source ones, is they handle sort of the the conversational aspect of it or the or the vagary of of just human com communication. And they can turn that into discrete commands or discrete queries, which can then be run against whatever data That's source it. you want or do whatever you want. So, so like I've been looking at the chat GPT plugins um, because mm. I think they're just an interesting model of how um, these types of integrations can be, can be thought of. By the way, we, we just deployed an unverified chat GPT plugin yesterday. And so and, tell us what and it I'm, does. So I'm super... can, you, can you tell us okay, what it does? Okay, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to pick something that I, I don't want to go. I, this is a whole new frontier, and there could be roadblocks and weird stuff that happens. It's, the documentation is not good. The experience is not good. There's only 70 plugins in there right now. Somehow I got white uh, whitelisted to be able to submit. Yeah, so can I. So I didn't want to take my client stuff because I don't know what, I don't know how to set expectations. So, Todd, I took my. Fantasy <laughs> My football thing. Fantasy football thing. Yeah, of course. Because I own the data and it's actually a perfect use case because any app, again, the same thing I just said about business, anything you're doing where you're like, and by the way, a lot of people, I have a lot of conversations with people who have like the next big AI idea and they're like, hey man, let's go have a beer and talk about this new billion dollar idea. And all it is is some like thing you can just do with ChatGPT for free, right? So, I, I don't think plugins are useful if they do that. So like what my plugin does is it goes and checks with this proprietary data set that I'm creating through this series of machine learning models that is that you can't get anywhere. Yeah. So it's not like someone can just go into ChatGPT and get these answers. They have to go, first of all, they go in and they check with my data source first. So to your point, and this is why I wanted to bring it up in that context, what Todd just said was, so I go into the language model and I go, um, you know, how much is Aaron Rodgers going to suck this year and how bad are the Jets? And then it goes, oh. And so what the language model does is it has this intelligence where it goes, oh, he's asking about a player named Aaron something or another. And he's asking about a team called J-E-T, whatever that spells, who knows. And then he's asking about how bad are they going to suck? So that must mean like, what are their performance predictions? And so what it does, to Todd's point, is it generates... A JSON block that literally says action, query, um, you know, name, player, player equals name. So it's actually, that's actually pretty amazing what's happening. It's dynamically reading through it and going and providing some, uh, giving some logic. And then what all that happens is it goes and it hands that end, that is an endpoint over to my system, which responds with the data in JSON. And then it goes and polishes it up and comes up with like a whole cool paragraph of like neat English language. So... So that's literally how the whole ChatGPT plugin paradigm works. But also to your point, Todd, and I'll let you elaborate, really that's probably the most fascinating way to use these models is to have it output text that you can then use to integrate right. or uh, right. formats that you can use. So integrate. like I think about like we just, we're going to do a blog post on this because it still is pretty cool. But we have this internal system um, called Radar that, uh, that is, captures all of the data about all of our customers that come in various different apps, whether it's, you know, um, whether it's our shopping cart or, or mm. our sales app, um, we'll, we'll use an app called pipeline for that, uh, mm. all, uh, QuickBooks, you know, for accounting harvest for time tracking, we have all these different things. 
all that stuff gets built into a FileMaker, gets pulled into a FileMaker app, which we can then query by email address. And so we built a inside of our email as a app, key, like basically inside right? of our email because that's all those systems just, have the email. It can show you everything that we have on any email that comes in, right? So that's that's like that's cool and all, but it's sort of like last year's technology, right? It's still really <laughs> sure. awesome and we love it. And it's not going away, but it's impressive. If you can think about if you think about what we're talking about doing is 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 getting rid of the UI part of that, like all of the UI that we had to build to do that integration. And it becomes something where you're just asking questions and telling it to perform actions. So I could say, what do we know about this email address? And it could, it, it, it figures out, oh, you're asking about a person, there's their email address. I know how to query your internal database with an email address. And I know what the results look like when it comes back. So I can create a nice, nice, you know, formatted block of text. It's, it's Perfect. Right. And people might be going, well, then who cares if I could just do a SQL query? Well, the point is what Todd then what Todd's illustrating is that that big chunk of text that comes back still goes to the language yeah, model, not right. to the user. And then the language model goes, oh, yeah, this is just tech. Let me make this make sense and I'll infuse some logic and some good writing and I'll wordsmith this to you and and maybe go find some other data that I can embellish it with that might be useful and maybe a level of reasoning and complex processing. And then I give it back to the That's user. That's right. Like, like we could say, That's the we could say something like, I could say, hey, we have a whole bunch of people have bought stuff from, from us from, and they have a, they have an iSolutions email. Who spent the most money out of all this? Who did that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> who, who, right. who, who's the big spender over at iSolutions, right? And I don't have to <laughs> write any of the logic around, around figuring out who's the biggest spender because the language model will do that. Once, you, yes. once it goes and gets the data, it finds every purchase from everybody at an iSolutions email address, looks at, at their total purchases, sums it up, and then finds who that person is and just tells you it's so-and-so and then, but here's where it gets even more interesting is that you can say in that chat, you can say, send Chris a thank you note. Yeah, and right. then, and then and it'll that, write you can say, Oh, it's asking me to send Chris a thank you note. I know about thank you notes because the API that's been given to me has an endpoint for thank you notes and it needs an email and it needs, and it needs a block of text. And here's the thing. The language model is going to write that thank you note for Chris. Right? Yep. And it may show it to me first. Says, How's this? And I can say, oh, that's well, great. Well, it's going to be personalized because it knows yeah. me. You can tell it in the style of yeah. Todd or whoever their rep is. So it's not just some like boilerplate that's thing. Right. Just so people are truly impressed with what yeah. you just said. Yeah. And, that's I, and maybe, I, maybe I see it in the UI and I says, do you want me to send it? I click OK and it sends the freaking email. And so, so all of that stuff, all the complexity around um, the UI part of it. And even not just the UI, but how the, it, it's presented. The logic. Do I want to see who, who bought the most, who bought the least? Do I want that output in a, in a table or do I want it in JSON, right? Like you can, you can tell it to do different things with that output and it will do it. And then you can tell it, you can tell it to go do things. And, and the part that we haven't maybe connected the dots on here is that at the end of the day, all, when I say do something or query, all I mean is call an API. Guess what That's database correct. has a built-in yes. API? In fact, it's got three or four of them if you count them all. You know, FileMaker's got the XML hmm. API, the, the REST API, oh, yeah. the ODAT API, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and then the ODBC data API. 
Yeah. All of those. Admin API and the admin API? Yeah, the admin API. Too? I mean, yeah. So we're right? think so we're thinking about this one too wow. because you know, you can imagine a day where you just say uh something like, Hey, um download me a backup of the contacts file on my server. And it just says, Okay. And it sends you a link and it starts downloading a backup of it. Because again, it's using the language model to figure out what commands to call. And and yes. and this seems like like, oh my God, this seems like magic, but it's actually not because it's actually quite simple in terms of it's logic. what you basically have to do is you have to, do, you have to describe in the, in the chat GPT plugin paradigm, each one of these is slightly different, but in that one, you, you describe your API in a well-defined, yes. well-understood spec called open AI, not open API, open AI. So you describe that and now chat GPT knows that API, it just knows it. And then you also yep. give it a, basically a big prompt, which tells, which kind of describes what this thing can do. And based on those two things alone, you can integrate ChatGPT with any file. Yeah, you're you're giving it a router. Yes, like this point. this weekend, literally, I am writing. So, like in the ChatGPT plugin world, they call it, it's just a manifest. Yeah, it's right. like a document that they're looking yeah. for, and they, they use that in other places too. And so, in this manifest, it says. A bunch of things like when somebody sees this plugin, what's the icon that they're going to see? What's the name of the plugin? And then it goes, and it's it's really clever. It goes for humans, yeah. right? And then it goes for model. Yeah. And so the thing that I'm writing this weekend and that I'll probably spend the next few weeks doing until we go to production with this thing is I'm saying exactly what you said. I'm taking the entire data dictionary. Like, it, like to kind of frame up what the magic is, I can tell you... Um, like over Christmas, I took my entire JSON, like the entire output of my whole fantasy football, like uh, machine learning model, and I crammed it into ChatGPT. Like I pasted it into a conversation in a GPT. Thank God it fit because I had like my big fantasy semifinals, you know, like the next day. And I was like, what? Tell me what to do. <laughs> but I realized something interesting. I think that might help people understand this. When I just copied and pasted a spreadsheet, it, the the column headers were just a bunch of weird names like player dot whatever, and then ChatGPT is like, eh, you know, I guess this is what you're asking for. And then I then I had like this fever dream, and I go, oh, let me actually change the column headers on the spreadsheet because that's what it's using as its data dictionary. To and this is a crazy experiment. I go, let me actually write a sentence about what this column is, yep. why it's go. useful, and why it's meaningful. And then I'll, now, fast forward to now, that's literally what I'm doing in this manifest: yeah. is I'm creating a data dictionary, yeah. and I'm saying in plain English, not code, not you know Python or something. I'm saying, hey, when these two things are equal, this thing's the tiebreaker. And oh, by the way, none of this matters if this person's like injured and they're not even playing or whatever. So I'm literally going like, hey, ChatGPT. Here's how to find value in my specific data <clears throat> so that that way when, and then also when you hear a question for this, go here, question for that, go here, route all this information and exactly what you just said, it's doing the traffic management and the routing and, and, and it does sound magical and it is kind of because the level of, you know, the level it's doing it at is pretty amazing. But if you just do one individual thing, it's not, it's pretty obvious. It's like if somebody says something about a player or a customer, go over here. Yeah. That's where all that information is, right? It's. I, I mean, I, I so, would dare say. So, so how soon until until your ChatGPT <laughs> plugin can go? Okay, tomorrow's the big tomorrow's a you know a big day NFL football. Uh, what should who should I start? 
And then you say, okay, gets the list well, back. You tweak. Okay, I agree with yeah. this. Okay, make this my starting lineup. And it well, goes and I'm, yeah. Well, so um, that is already happening. <laughs> but here's where, and I think this is a great anecdote to answer your question. This is actually what it did. So in testing, I said, "Hey, who should I? It's it's uh it's week whatever and." you know, whatever, sorry about sports stuff, all the listeners, but like it's week 14 and the fantasy playoffs are starting. Like this is when every, you know, all the money's on, or not, sorry, not money. All the <laughs> bragging rights are on the line. Um, who should I start to your point? And it goes and it queries and it figures that out based on the logic and the routing that I gave it. But check this out, dude. The level of reasoning that language models have, this is what I, I want to leave everybody with. I just did an article, by the way, if anyone finds me on LinkedIn, I just did one as of the recording of this where I was talking about language models as a reasoning engine. Please go check it out. I'm not going to waste everybody's time here, but this is kind of what I'm anchoring on. I then go, so in this same conversation, and again, it's a conversation, so you can drill up and down into the questions that you're asking. And I say, Hey, this one player, what's his outlook for the next few weeks? And then it goes, oh, yeah, okay, he should be okay. And then I go, well, how does his matchup strength correlate with the number of touches that he gets in this offensive system? And then it goes, oh, da, da, da. and then Todd, this is what I mean with the reasoning engine. It goes, yeah, that's a good correlation, but there's actually a correlation between this piece of data and this piece <laughs> of data. And are you interested in that? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I go, what is this that you're talking about? It goes, oh, let's call it a favorability score. And I go, what are you talking about? And then it starts presenting charts to me and graphs. And and then I go, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that before. It's the same data. I mean, I created the data. Yeah. I should know this. But it has a level of reasoning and processing that I don't have. And then all of a sudden, by the end of it, I'm literally having it write like a two-page article for me on all the other players that have the same advantage. You know what I mean? Like, it goes way beyond question and answer. Yeah. It it is it is a superpower with logic and reasoning well beyond our comprehension that already exists. Even in these open source models, they have the capability of doing that. And that is how I think people should start to strategize and plan for how they're going to implement foundation slash language models into their businesses as differentiators and how to do more with less. Yeah you know, how to not have to hire more people, but still grow, like all the things that everybody cares about is running a business. Forget the, it writes a poem or writes an email or something, adorable poems, cute. <laughs> but the logic, and how does it know logic? Well, how do we know logic, Todd? Who discovered logic? What human being discovered logic? Aristotle. And how did he do it? He literally sat and listened to people talk. And then he came up with syllogisms. He's like, if the if it rains, the ground is wet. I am the ground, therefore I am wet, or some kind of silly stuff like that. Like he just sat there in his minimal data set as a human and processed that and goes, oh, that's what logic is. Like literally that's where logic came from. Then Boole came and layered a whole nother stack on top of it. Well, that was us humans just listening to people talk that discovered logic. Well, guess what? The language models <laughs> have been listening to us to talk, uh, talk on the internet for the last 45 years to the level that like Lilo did in the fifth element <laughs> and just processes it really fast and goes, Oh, I figured out logic too. It's not like reading articles about what logic is. It just figured it out in the same way that yeah. we did. So now that level of reasoning and complexity is a tool that we can access from an API. 
Yes, please. I'll take ten. Yeah, I think I think the maybe the way to wrap it up is to is to. You know, I mean, we hear a lot of talk about about you know personal agents or business agents, and that's I think a good way to think about it. There, there, and and Perfect. and you know, we should. I mean, we we've, we've been very enthusiastic about it, and I think we should be. But we should also, you know, again, it's sort of this thing where experts are still needed to know whether these things are doing the right thing and can step in and correct them and and do do that kind of stuff. Um, Correct. It's not like it's 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 more like you have. A, I think about it as an intern or maybe a you know a summer intern or or an assistant that you that you can give tasks to and it can do things and then you probably need to validate and check over that stuff at least regularly if not all the time well put and that's really what's well but that is what's available today is you have somebody who who with given the right prompting the right connections to the right apis can work with you to produce outcomes whether it's you know code or whether it's insights about data or fantasy football or do things like place an order at some at some yeah. restaurant or some store based on their api um this stuff yep. is happening and the, and the, again the you know, to bring it all the way, bring it back to our home here in FileMaker. What's really needed here is just an API. You just have to have an API, and FileMaker's got one. And there's nothing precluding you from using FileMaker's data APIs to connect to these engines and build these kinds of reasoning, not just reasoning, but things that can actually what? act in the world. Absolutely. As long Actions. as there's an API yep. that can do it, you can yep. get it to do it for you. If you understand that a Claris Connect flow can do a bunch of things, yeah. that's what we're, yeah, talking, that's what we're about, talking about, basically, right? right. It, but but with an with a level of intelligence where no one has to create the flow, yeah. like it just no like imagine, imagine like well, and I actually did this experiment. I loaded all the Claris Connect connector names and descriptions into a context window, and then I started asking it problems. And going only use these connectors as they're defined in with dependencies in mind to solve the problem I just gave to you. I was like, how do I know in my inventory levels, you know, how do I order new inventory or something before I run out in order to meet my orders or something, you know, whatever it was, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And by the way, that uh, Zapier, sorry, Claris, but Zapier does that. They have this natural language actions thing that if anybody's using Zapier out there, you should check it out as sort of an example of that. Uh, but yeah, Todd, really well put. Um, I think that's a great point for us to anchor on. The only thing I'm going to offer just <laughs> is I just want to drop a couple like predictions for the future as it pertains sure. to language models. How's yeah, that? Yeah. Only because I had so much fun with that two years ago <laughs> and like a bunch of them came true. So um, uh, everything Todd said, do that today. But if you want to, you know, throw some grass up into the wind and see where it lands and, and pontificate over the future. First of all, who knows in two weeks from now, Apple could have just completely upset the Apple cart, so to speak, and everything changes. But uh, yet to come, uh, GPT-4, awesome. Yeah. Probably overkill for most tasks that we're talking, most, almost all the tasks we're talking about, it's overkill. But what we still haven't seen, gotten the API to is image inputs. Yeah. Like that, the whole thing, if people didn't see it, some guy sketched what a web page was going to look like, took a picture of it on his phone, uploaded it to GPT-4, and it wrote all of the HTML and JavaScript for the website, and it worked in an execution environment. Imagine the impact of that. Open source language models, we touched on it already. They're here to stay. They will be ubiquitous, and they will be three quarters or more of all language model deployments within businesses. 
And then infinite context windows. We talked about it before. Yeah. 32K, 100K with Anthropic. We'll be laughing about the fact that there's no... That, I mean, that we you got to remember that when I started with computers, we had floppy disks with 2K on them, right? <laughs> <laughs> the kids love this like that that's where the whole 64k is all enough like you could say the same thing oh right? eight, you know eight, they were even smaller eight, tape originally like yeah, it was just awful. seriously um that's well that just so everybody knows that's how long todd and i have known yeah. each other back when uh we <laughs> we had floppy uh, maybe like what were those were the hard uh, the, the, the three and a half yeah the super yeah, the zip drive, oh, the zip drives, ones yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that, well, that was maybe a couple of years into when we knew each other. But infinite context windows will be like us talking about zip drives. And I hope we don't have to wait for like, you know, probably a few years from now, like SSMs or uh, state space models, will, they won't even have a context window. But hopefully they'll figure that out in the meantime. And then we talked about the dialogue um, models as well, too. And, you know, like the Twitter thing we were talking about. I think when we do our next pod, those are going to be things that everyone's already talking about. I think That's we're, you know, we, we've talked a lot about some theory and some, some, you know, some, you've done a lot more actual work in this area than, than I have, but we're just beginning and it's looking very interesting. And I expect that in, in the next year, when we do this again in a year or so, we will have a lot of actual, a lot of, of actual real world stuff. Let, let's put it this way, Todd, by engage in February. Yeah. I, I, I believe I, my expectation is, People will show up and show what they've been doing with yep. it. It will surprise people. Uh, people will be able to embrace it. So the decision at, for us to wrap up here today is probably if you're listening to this, if you're a developer, what's your decision? If you're a business decision maker, what's your decision? The developers are at least embrace your curiosity. Like um, if you if you put your head in the sand on JavaScript and you did the same thing with AI, you know, and I mean this with respect, but you can't do that anymore. Like at least whip open the free ChatGPT and don't ask it like write a FileMaker script for it. Just do other things. Just get familiar with what the capabilities of this are. You have to, you absolutely have to do that because there's not, a, there's not enough room on the arc for everybody. They're only admitting people who have taken time to look into this. So be one of those people. That's what you do on a development side and then embrace it. Lean into like, go do some API calls, go get yourself an API key. It's publicly available. It has been for like a year and a half, two, three, three years. You could go get an API key and it caught, you know what my, all the stuff we're doing. I haven't had a open AI bill Todd for more than like 300 bucks in a month. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. Go, go do, go crazy with it and check it out. Have fun with it. It's awesome. And you're going to have so much cool stuff. Business decision makers, don't focus on generative AI. As a matter of fact, I didn't use that term once here because I don't believe in it. These language models capabilities go way beyond generating text and poems and copy and blogs. Do all that. Have at it. But when you're making decisions about what you're going to do, to Todd's point, between now and like a year from now, forget all that. If that's what the decisions you're making, forget it. Do the language model and the reasoning. Talk about how your data in the paradigm we just discussed can actually be infused between your users and your, in your organizational, your latent intelligence that exists within your organization, you can expose that to language models and holy cow, yep. that's what you should be thinking about. So that's what I think in those two groups of people, if if our advice matters, we're just a couple of old floppy disk dudes, <laughs> but if our advice matters, I think that's where people should go with this from here. Yep. I agree. It's good stuff. Well, I think we've said a lot and uh, we've been at it for a little over an hour. So 
This is probably a good. This time. is what our phone conversations are like, Todd. <laughs> like, like just so people know, like this is the First third time like, this week, Todd. I've had on a Saturday had, afternoon, an hour and a half conversation. Yeah, stuff, so. so. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, man. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate you continuing to, uh, you know, reach out and have these conversations. Uh, your friendship means a lot to me. Your your uh, professional support and uh, the alignment on these issues to me means a lot. So it's I really look forward to this, and it was a lot of fun. And I hope people who stuck around for an hour and uh, eighteen minutes uh, got a lot of good out of it. So yeah. I much appreciate. Yeah, same to you. It's it's uh, it's been a great it's been a great twenty five years. Stop Let's look that. for another 25. <laughs> All right. I'm down. Uh, maybe make it 15. All right. <laughs> All say. right, Chris. Thanks All right, much. buddy. See you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Cheers. Just as a reminder, this is available on YouTube and as a podcast. And make sure you check out the show notes as there are a lot of links to share there. If you can take a minute to pause and subscribe, we'd really appreciate it. But better yet, if you can share it with a friend, that would be pretty awesome. No matter what your role is in this community, you're proof of how amazing this Claris community really is. My job is to help spread your knowledge and your stories on the podcast. Find me on Twitter at MZ123 or at ProofGeist and let's share your story.